Hey there. Thanks for joining us at Risen King Church for our weekly podcast. We pray you meet God and know that you are loved today. Be sure to visit us at risenking.life to take all of your next steps and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Enjoy the message. This morning, before we look at God's Word together, I want to make one announcement about an ongoing experience that I'd like for you to join with me and with Lisa. And Lisa has uh, been concerned that uh, since this Christmas is such a, an unusual kind of time with all the challenges, that she wanted us to focus as a church each day on Advent. Advent is the preparation of the heart for the coming of the Lord. And it's a way to get yourselves spiritually uh, in greater capacity to receive our Lord Jesus Christ as Christmas is not far away. And so every morning at 9 o'clock, um, she has prepared a, an Advent devotional, which is, will be online at our website, risenking.life. It's free. You can download it. And each morning, she and I will unpack a devotional about Advent dealing with the prophecies concerning Jesus, the, the purpose and the message of Christmas. And uh, Lisa will do Mondays and Fridays, I believe, and then I'll do Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. And we will study together preparing for Christmas, recognizing that this Christmas is not going to be like any other. We want to go deeper with the Lord together. And so 9 o'clock on Facebook Live uh, Lisa and I will be doing a, an Advent devotion each day until Christmas. Now, during this season, I have been, I have been impressed by the Lord to, to see this pandemic, to see the chaos and the confusion in life as a time to deepen our worship. And so we began this series as God calling us to worship, even through COVID-19. And when we worship him, the scriptures are really clear. We don't worship him because he's useful. We worship him because he's beautiful. And then as we experience the depths of his beauty personally, we begin to see our own inadequacies. We begin to see our own brokenness. And even if we live in a society that's tried to get rid of all rules, all morality, yet cannot escape the feeling something is wrong. And that is what the Bible calls shame. And as we come to the beauty of the Lord in our own shame, we have to learn how to embrace our acceptance through grace, not because we deserve it, not because we earn it. Worship isn't a means by which we get the favor of God. Worship comes forth from those who have received a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ by faith. Faith is not the cause. Jesus and his love for us is the cause. And so everything about the gospel, everything about God himself, leads to an attitude and a posture of worship. But what happens when we do worship? Well, what the scripture explains is that God, in conclusion of our worship, speaks a benediction over us. So interesting, we were singing the benediction we're about to read. This is God's word. He, what he did is he, he said, priests, you will mediate my blessing to my people. And this is the blessing. It's the ironic blessing from Numbers 
chapter 6, verse 22 through 27. If you're you're able to, read it out loud with me. This is the blessing of the Lord to His people. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, This is the way you shall bless the children of Israel. Say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. So they shall put My name on the children of Israel, and I will bless them. So as we look at this, here's what I want you to understand, is that this blessing, this benediction, is where God speaks meaning into your whole life. He speaks the meaning of your whole life as He speaks this good word. That's what benediction means. This is the ironic blessing, but here's when it was... Here's when it was used. At the end of the worship service, at the end of the tabernacle service, then it would be said over the people who had worshiped. It was the closing words of the service. The Lord bless you and the Lord keep you. Now let's let's go after this. Let's understand what does it mean when the Lord blesses somebody? Well, if you go back to creation, you see you see a very good example of what His blessing looks like. Every day as He created, every day as He made this world, and He would, he would at the end of His creation that day, at the end of his, his labor that day, He would declare it good. Two times, two of the days, He not only declared it good, but He blessed it. Now, we have to understand what this means. Our God is all-knowing. Our God is all-powerful. So he's not stepping back to see if it is good. That's kind of what you and I do when we, when we make something or we do something. We look back and we say, was it good? Because we're not all-powerful. We're not all-knowing. God isn't stepping back admiring his creation and going, is it good? Did I do a good job? No, God is enjoying what he has made. When he is saying it is good, he is speaking that word, a uh, good word over it. See, at the end of the day, when he sees that it's good, it means that he's enjoying what he made. He's delighting in it. Do you understand what this means for you and me? When God says, bless you. When the priest says, bless you. When the blessing is mediated through the man or the woman of God to you, it is God saying, I delight in you. It is God saying, I enjoy you. That's the blessing of the Lord. It's not just some meaningless statement. It is God who stopped at the end of a creative day and said, I'm enjoying this. I'm enjoying, I'm delighting in what I've made. When God speaks to you at the end of worship and says, bless you, He's saying, I delight in you. I enjoy you. Isn't that something? Another way to look at it is this. Throughout the Scriptures, of the Old Testament, there was a, an importance given to the Father's blessing. And many times what, what would happen is, you know, this was at the end of the Father's life. And of course, the Father would always, in a way that you see, the Father would wish that son or that daughter well. And, and it is what, what God did at creation. It's the Father saying, I delight in you. You're my beloved son. And it's the Father longing for the good of the child. 
But there was a practical aspect to the blessing. See, what the father would do is he'd not only say, I wish you well, but he would provide for them well. He would bestow on them all his resources. He would commit his wealth on that child in such a way that the good he intended for the child could actually be accomplished by the resources necessary to have that good achieved in the life of the child. Oh, this is so powerful if you think about it. So the father says, bless you and keep you. So he's saying, I delight in you. I enjoy you. I long for your good. But you see, when, he, when our God, our Father says, I bless you, he's basically saying, not only do I delight in you, not only do I wish you well, I have committed with all my power and all my resources to achieve your good. Here's what our God is saying in that blessing. He's saying, I'm willing to be expensively present with you all of your life to achieve your good. Now, all right, let's stop here for a minute. This is so powerful. This will give meaning to anybody's life if you let the Lord bless you. But let's think about it for a minute. There is a, there is a way in which you could say, well, I can just assume that He's going to bless me this way. But you see, what the Lord did is He set it up at the end of worship. He set it up at the end of your service of worship to Him, of your acknowledgement of relationship to Him. Do you... You must understand that there is a biblical principle here that, that many people miss. And it's the principle of the manna. You see, what, what, what you and I don't understand is God doesn't give it all out at once. What He does is He gives that day's blessing. Just like He gave the manna. Now, now if you stored up the manna, more than one day it rotted. It became useless. The only day that you could store it was Sabbath so that you didn't have to go out and work on the Sabbath. But every other day, you could only have as much manna as you could have for that day, not anymore. And so if you did not go out on that day and, and, and gather up your manna, you had nothing for bread. You had nothing to feed your family. See, this is, this is the idea. The Lord isn't just saying, I give it to you all at once like some spoiled trust fund baby. The Lord says, every day, come into my presence and I will give you the blessing. I will give you the manna for that day. And, and, and it will be sufficient and it will be enough. This is why I'm saying times like this when we can't control our circumstances, times like this when there's uncertain future is a call to gather the manna. It's a call to gather the blessing. The Lord says, when you experience my blessing, you will feel my delight in you. You will feel my concern and my commitment for your good, but you'll also have the resources to achieve that good, and there's no other way to receive it except by faith. And so how important is this blessing of God in our life? Well, let me give you a case study. Again, the Old Testament gives us incredible insights into how important the blessing of God is. And so we go back, all the way back to, to the patriarchs. There were these twins who were born. One named Jacob, the other named Esau. It's an amazing case study. Esau was the firstborn by minutes. They were twins. So he, only, he, he arrived a little bit quicker than his brother. 
And by right, in that ancient traditional culture, by right, he should receive all the blessing of the Father. But God had spoken prophetically about the second son. He had spoken and said Jacob was the one that God would be dealing with. Jacob was the one who was to lead the tribe. Jacob was the one on whom his father should put the blessing. Not on Esau, but Isaac, the father of the twins, refused to listen to the Lord. And instead, he lavished his love on Esau. He loved, he doted on, he favored Esau. Esau was so much more like him. They liked all the same things. They had the same affinity. And so the father disregarded the prophetic message of the Lord and he put all his favor on Esau. But as he did that, he was spurning, he was neglecting, he was rejecting Jacob. And here's what we see. This is one of the reasons for me I, I love and believe in the not only the credibility, but the authenticity of the Scriptures. Because here's fathers of the faith, and they are dysfunctional. And they are disobedient. And they struggle, just like you and me. But here's Jacob. He spent his whole life rejected by his father. So what you see is an angry Jacob. But you also see an incredibly needy Jacob. Because he doesn't have the blessing of the father, he's angry and he's needy. So when Isaac became old, what happens is Jacob poses as Esau. He puts Esau's smell on. He puts you know, uh, furs on to mimic Esau's hairiness. And, and so he sneaks in and his father's eyesight is poor. And so he has fooled his father and his father gives Jacob Esau's blessing. He gives him his property. He gives him his name. He gives him his rights. He gives him everything. Nothing is actually left for Jacob. Now, if you read the story carefully, you'll realize Jacob knew this was a counterfeit blessing. See, he knew he was using false pretenses to hear his father say what he had never heard his father say. And this is important, you get this. See, in the blessing, the father said, you're my beloved child. Even though Jacob knew he was talking about Esau, it's the first time Jacob got to hear his father say that to him. And then his father, with that love for Esau, speaking it to Jacob, says, everything I have is yours. You see, even though it was false, even though it was totally counterfeit, it didn't matter. He was so needy, he had to hear his father say, you're my beloved son. And he had to hear his father say, everything I have is yours. Why do I say he knew it was counterfeit? Because he never got to enjoy it. Isaac was so angry when he found out he had been tricked. Esau wanted to kill Jacob, so Jacob, Jacob left and was gone, never had his father's resources, never had his father's you know, true I love you son moment. He had Esau's moment, but he was so needy, he was willing to take the counterfeit moment just so he could have the blessing for a moment, even though it was for his older brother. Now, as we look at this together, for some reason this thing is not advancing. Sorry about that. Carol, can you help me out there? What we began to see, and we talked about it last week, is we start to see that there's something within all of us, like Jacob. Jacob's story resonates with us. You see, 
Whether you like it or not, every one of us needs someone who is unique and who has great worth to bless us with words that say to us, you are unique and you have great worth. In some ways, as hard as it may be for contemporary people to believe this, every single person needs someone of significance to speak into your insignificance and make you significant. So in our contemporary culture, what has happened is that we are hearing this message over and over again. You don't need anyone to bless you. You don't need anyone to give you your self-worth. You give it to yourself. But that, friends, is completely false. You blessing you is you insignificant you blessing your insignificance. It will not raise you up. It will leave you in a place of counterfeit blessing, in a place of false hope. Now, <laughs> I don't know if you'll recognize the movie that this comes from, but there's a, there's a, um, there's a, a movie that, that illustrates this so well. Thank you. There's this movie that illustrates this so well. I'm going to see if you recognize the movie as I, I, I say it. So there's, there's, this, there's this woman, and she's writing a diary. That gives you a hint. So she's writing a diary, and she writes down three things that she's going to do, three resolutions to bless herself. The first thing she's going to do, she says, I'm going to buy books by unreadable literary authors to put impressively on shelves so people will think you know, that she's a person of significance. Then secondly, she says, I'm going to develop inner poise and inner authority and a sense of self without any boyfriend whatsoever, as that is the very best way to obtain a boyfriend. So you see what she's doing is she's actually not changing or blessing herself. She's hiding herself so that she can be considered significant, so she can trap someone who will make her feel significant. And then the last one, in some ways, she says, I'm going to be assured, I'm going to be accepted, I'm going to be a woman of substance, and I'm not going to care what anyone else thinks about me. And yet this whole conundrum, in a sense, that you see here, is she's so concerned about what others think about her, she has to pretend like she doesn't care what others think about her, that she won't be needy so that she can get her needs met. All of this goes to the fact that when you try to bless yourself, it just doesn't work. It will not work. So how then do I get this blessing, this blessing of God delighting in me, this blessing of God saying, I will give you the resources to achieve your good because my wishes for you, my desires for you is your greatest good. Well, Notice the second of the, of the blessings that are spoken, of the benediction that's spoken. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Now, this is one of the most important phrases. And sometimes I think Christians say this phrase but have no idea what, they, what is meant by the face of God. The very best way to define the face of God is the relational presence of God. And this is very different from... <coughs> from the general sense of God's presence. The face of God is basically... My voice, sorry. The base... Excuse me a second. <coughs> Wearing masks can dry your mouth out. Thank you, guys. 
I had to baptize my throat there. So the face of God being the relational presence of God is an actual experience of not only personal intimacy with God, but personal communication with you. See, what he says here is God in personal relationship turns towards you and then he shines upon you. In other words, that shining upon you is you feel his delight in you. You feel his concern for you. You feel, you experience. It's not something that's a concept. It's an actual experience of the relational presence of God. So you can understand that in the scripture, this idea of God turning his face towards you is both wonderful. Here's his delight in you. Here's his relationship and his communication to you. But it is fearful at the same time. Now, Moses is the one to whom this is spoken, this blessing. But what would he have thought? Do you not, do, do you not remember what Moses asked God? He said, let me see you. Show me yourself. I, I won't go forth, he says, unless, uh, unless your presence goes with us, he said. And God's answer to him was, I'll show you the, the backside of my glory. Why, he says. God says, because no one can look upon my face and live. So here is this. Can you imagine a little bit Moses going, God, what do you mean by this blessing? You told me that if I saw your face, I would not be able to live. And yet here you are mediating through this ironic blessing, through these priests, you're mediating your face, your relational presence, and you're saying it will shine upon them. You're not saying it as a fearful thing, but as a, a wonderful thing. Well, we have to kind of dig in a little deeper to this. Though God is everywhere presence, present, what we're seeing here is we have lost his face. Sin lost us, not the presence of God in the world, or God as as sovereign, or God as king, or any of those things, but what we lost was this relational presence. We lost the face of God through sin. Again, can you not see how important worship is? Worshiping God for his beauty, not his usefulness. Worshiping God knowing that you have to come in your brokenness, in your emptiness, in your desolation, to seek his face on the basis of his grace, not on the basis of your goodness. Why is it that his face was lost by sin? Well, you understand there are things in the world, there are things that exist, that are incompatible. They cannot exist in the same space. God's absolute holiness and his beauty and his glory cannot dwell with sin. In some ways, you could use the example of fire and water. Both are real, but the one cannot exist with the other. Either the fire will evaporate the water or the water will put out the fire. And what we see is Sin and the holiness of God cannot exist in the same realm. We cannot see his face while still dead in our sins and our trespasses. It's not that God is grumpy. It's not that he's irritable or any of those things. It's that these are two things that cannot exist in the same place. There's an inherent incompatibility 
So here, Moses is hearing God say, bless the people, mediate this blessing to the people of my face. Wow. He had to go, what are you saying, God? How is it that this is a good thing? And then God reveals how we can see his face. The Lord be gracious to you. See, in other words, there was no way to see the face of God while we're still trapped in our sins. There's no way to see the face of God while we're still trying to prosecute our own agenda of sin and selfishness and self-centeredness. The only way to see the face of God was to recognize that we had no right to his face, that we had lost the access to his face, and then to come as sinners and to recognize our condition and to plead his grace. That we would come in such a way when we worship that we recognize we don't have a right to be here on our own performance. That God in his grace had to provide a way for us to be right with him, for us to be intimate with him, for us to be accepted by him. And even here in the Old Testament blessing, it's right there. It's the grace of God. We see Paul pouring forth this in Ephesians chapter 2. For by grace you have been saved through, not because of, but through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. Even our faith, he says, is a free gift of God. So we see his face and we see his delight in us and it shines on us, not because of anything we have done, but rather because of what he has done for us. Interesting, Moses would have known that this benediction could only come at the end of the service. It could not come before the sacrifices were given. And yet he would have also known that those sacrifices of animals and those offerings that were given were not sufficient to take away the sin of the people, but they were pointing to a greater sacrifice. The writer of Hebrews says it this way, Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. You understand, even at the end of the service, those offerings that were repeatedly given, they themselves could not take away the sins, but they were pointing, the writer of Hebrews says, to Christ. But when Christ had offered for all time, a single sacrifice for sins. He sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until all his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. You see, through Jesus, God's face now shines on us, but only in Jesus. There is no other sacrifice, not even all the Old Testament sacrifices put together, not all of them could even take away one sin. It was the single sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ that fully atoned for sins and then makes you, in his righteousness, makes you right with God, acceptable, and now approved by God and ready for blessing. Only that way, no other way, only through Jesus does God's face shine upon us. You begin to see 
And different times in the New Testament, I love the way John chapter 1 puts it, calling Jesus the very Word of God in the flesh. And he says, the Word dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. You understand, they saw the face of God. They saw the grace of God. They saw the glory and the beauty of God. And John said, and we beheld His glory. Can I, can I just put this one caveat? And, and, and you need to understand this. Never get the order reversed. There are so many people who think because they are living a more holy life, they're obeying more of the rules, that therefore they are right with God. You see, that is saying my sanctification will be the means of my justification. Friends, your sanctification will never be the means of anything except for your own good. Because you are not going to be sanctified until you are first justified by faith in Christ alone. If the cause of your right standing with God is not the sacrifice of Jesus, if it's the sacrifice of Jesus plus your church going or your Bible reading or whatever other kind of obedience you think you're doing and you're putting that equal to Christ's sacrifice, then you are being foolish. You have no other means by which to be in right standing and to have the face of God shine upon you except that Jesus is your sacrifice. And if you are in him, even if you're as messed up as can be, but you're in him, then the face of God shines on you like the face of the Father shines on Jesus. Please, do you not see how important this benediction is? You can live every day for the rest of your life with the relational presence of God shining on you. And all you have to do is say, I believe, I receive. Do not ever get your sanctification first as the means of your justification. Even if you totally screwed up yesterday, you're just as justified today as you were yesterday. Because the thing is, this is about drawing near to God. If the only way I draw to near, to near to God is make myself holy, I will never be near him. Because even my attempts to make myself holy are sin. And sin and the absolute holiness of God are incompatible. So the only way I draw near is in the righteousness of Christ to my account by faith. So here's, here's, here's the legal justification why I can say, Lord, I'm, gonna, I'm coming after your face. In Genesis chapter 27, when, when Jacob was plotting this, this uh, takeover of Esau's blessing with his mother Rachel, because you see, Esau was, was daddy's boy, and Rachel took Jacob on as mama's boy. And so because he was rejected by his father, he was indulged by his mother. And so she's, uh, Rebecca, not Rachel, sorry, that's his wife, sorry about that. So Rebecca, he, uh, uh, Jacob's mother, is the one who put him up to this plot. But he gets kind of fearful, and he comes to his mother, and Rebecca says, do not get afraid. Even if your father curses me, I will take his curse upon me, curses you, I will take the father's curse on me. 
So what you see is kind of rashly trying to get Jacob to go on and get the blessing from his father. She rashly says, I'll take the father's curse. What a powerful word, because it's a picture of what, what she said rashly. She said carelessly. But with utter grace for you and me, Jesus takes the curse of the father, the curse of the sin upon himself. You see, Jesus wore the shroud of death that we deserve that we might now wear the robes of righteousness that he has earned for us. See, until you get this, if you keep trying to say, I've got to make my life right, I've got to get my behavior in order, and then God's face can shine on me, his face will never shine on you. But if you realize, I've got no robes of righteousness of my own, I have nothing, I have nothing but a deserving of death and punishment, I'm desolate and I come to Christ, and Christ takes off our filthy rags, and he puts on us his own righteous robes so that when we come before the Father, the Father sees us robed in the righteousness of Christ, and he treats us as righteous as Christ himself is. And you see, it's not a matter that other people get this and you don't. It's a matter of whether you're going to believe it or not. It's whether or not you're going to say, yes. That's the blessing I need. Yes, that's the good word that needs to start every day. Look at what Jesus wanted for you. In John chapter 17, his high priestly prayer. Give my disciples, he says to the Father, give my disciples the glory I had at the beginning. You see, this is the gospel. What we deserved have, has totally fallen on Jesus. A single sacrifice, never again to be paid. Not even by you. But now what he deserves falls on us. This is the face of God shining on us. This is the relational presence of God that you can have every single day just like the children in the wilderness had manna every day. Father can look at you now. I mean, think about this with me. Jacob was willing to have a counterfeit blessing just to hear these words. You are my beloved. You're my beloved daughter. You're my beloved son. You absolutely delight me. And everything I have is yours. That's what it means when he says, his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Well, how does this blessing change your life? Well, this is at the end of the blessing, at the end of the benediction, the blessing of God names you. <laughs> he says, so they shall put my name on the children of Israel and I will bless them. He's you see, what he's saying is he has named you his name. And he is blessing his name in you. Well, think about when that happens. For us, it happens at baptism. And you'll baptize them into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. He doesn't say just baptize them. He says into the name of. So suddenly whatever your name was, now your name is, is the same name as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You're baptized into that name. <laughs> it gives you a whole new identity. Now you know who you are. I'm named with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You have a solidarity as we go through all of these things, these trials and tribulations, we, are, we have a solidarity. We're in a family. We have support. We have comfort. 
there's accountability. You know, most people understand that if your name means something, you've got to live up to your name. And you want to live up to the name that you carry. Security. You know, in, in the father's family, when we fail, we get loved more. Uh, we get loved in a greater way. The struggling child gets more attention. You see, he's not our boss. He's our father. See, if he were your boss, you get fired. But when you're a father, you see a struggling child. You don't say, you're not my child. You say, let me give you more of my resources so you can rise to your identity. And then being named with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We have an intimacy. He does not leave. He does not punish. But rather, it says, he draws near. He draws near. Because again, it's not on the basis of how well you're doing that he draws near. He draws near to the struggling child. He draws near to the sick child. He draws near to the grieving and brokenhearted child. He draws near. He doesn't push you away because you're failing. He draws you closer because you're struggling. So as we look at this together, can I just sum it up this way? A real somebody has turned his face toward a real nobody. And he names me with his name. This is what the blessing is. This is that blessing that God speaks over you when you worship. These are his closing words to you. Now, do you think he only wants you to have it for you? Of course not. Everything in life is better if you distribute it. This blessing is not manufactured. It's not something you produce. It's rather that instead of being like a factory, you're actually a warehouse. And your, your, your job is to receive the blessing and then to pass the blessing on to others. To name them as delightful, to name them as fruitful, productive. Here's the thing you can do with anybody. If you'll look at their life closely enough, you'll see the fruit of the Spirit in their life. And so you begin to bless those places of growth and progress. you imagine what it would do for somebody else if they saw that you had noticed their fruit of the Spirit in their life and you commented on it? What a blessing that would be. Or what a thing it is to see the gifts of the Spirit in somebody's life. You see, the gifts of the Spirit is the uniqueness of Jesus showing up in the ministry of an ordinary person. The uniqueness of Jesus, the uniqueness of His Spirit showing up in that person. And then you authenticate it and you affirm it and you respect it. You understand what a blessing would be mediated by you saying, I see the fruit in your life. I see the gifts in your life. Because you know what you're saying? I see his face. And I see it shining. Do you understand? That's ministry. And especially as you see people sacrificing. And that you take note that other people are doing things. And no one else sees them but you. But you see it. And you give them the respect and the affirmation. See, this is the blessing. Why is it set at the end? It's set at the end so you can go and bless. So that his benediction becomes your benediction. Lewis, C.S. Lewis has a great teaching on this. And he says this, 
The people with inner health are always looking to bless. The people with inner dysfunction are always criticizing and cursing and can never have enough. Here's the thing. You and I can have inner health in the midst of outer storms. If we realize that whatever else is going on in our life, the only face that matters is blessing you and shining on you.